0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host.
1: Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is John Moreland. John, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, John is with me today to share his experiences with helping other small business owners reduce their risk, the risk in a business. Uh, by creating a safer and more productive work environments, and potentially an opportunity to reduce those ever-rising cost of business insurance. He's an expert in this area, and so that's what we're going to explore, his expertise and an app that he has developed that helps business owners with this. To receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show, and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. I also would encourage you to please subscribe to my show wherever you listen so you don't miss any of the new episodes. So let me tell you a little bit more about John. John Moreland has been in the insurance and risk management industry for over 20 years. He started his risk control career with ISO, Insurance Service Office. After five years at ISO, he consulted independently for another seven years. And during that time, he provided safety consulting services for some of the largest insurers in the country. Next, he worked one-on-one with businesses to develop and implement safety and risk control programs. The result was a 50 to 80% reduction in their insurance premiums, saving them millions of dollars, as you might expect. Most recently, he launched Smarter Risk, which has developed a self-serve app that automates the development of these programs that we're going to chat about. This solution helps small business owners adopt risk control programs that drive down claims, enabling organizations to qualify, potentially qualify for the best rates and allowing insurers to offer premium pricing. John is a huge advocate for small businesses he understands their unique challenges and is passionate about helping them succeed, which is why he's here with me to hear here with me today to share this knowledge. John lives in the Winston Salem, North Carolina area. Once again, John Moreland, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Henry. I'm really happy to be here and talk about this.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, excited to chat about it. But before we do so, I'm always interested in, in the journey, how you got to where you are today. So I was hoping you, we could start by if you would share the early story of your career, if I did the research right, you went you know, out of college into insurance and risk management, as I highlighted in your bio. Uh, tell me about that. What, what got you into that field to begin with? I'm curious.
0: Oh, that was kind of by accident, which is funny. If you listen to some of the Inside Baseball Insurance podcast, most of us got here by accident. We is that right? Yeah, we didn't say, "Hey, let's go into insurance." This sounds fascinating. Um, <laughs> that's not really what happened for me. So I actually went to college later in life, but um, but yeah, I was uh, I was recruited by Mutual of Omaha to sell life, accident, and health insurance, and that was my first um, experience with the insurance industry. I was really a terrible salesperson. Um, so this <laughs> is this is why we built an app that's PLG, by the way. But uh, I was not, not a great salesperson. Uh, try selling life insurance. I mean, it's really hard. It's not, hard. You would think it's easy. It is not easy to sell life insurance. So I did that for a couple of years, moved on, got uh, hired by a company called Century Insurance, and they were commercial outfit. So that was my first experience with commercial insurance. So we mm. sold workers' comp, property liabilities, what we call bot policies, uh, and, and small fleet exposures. And I did that for about a year, year and a half, uh, got laid off. And uh, this was during the downturn 2001. And during that time, though, something really interesting happened. Uh, when you start selling commercial insurance, you get visits by these people called risk control or sometimes it's called loss control in the industry. And what they do is they come in and they make an assessment of your account and they report back to the insurance company. Hey, this is the risk that this company is transferring to you because that's all really insurance is, right? It's just sure. risk transfer. And- I actually would get these reports. My accounts did not do very well because I didn't know anything about risk control or risk <laughs> management at that point. They did not do very well, but I was fascinated by what, these, by what they did. Hmm. And so I harassed uh, a gentleman at ISO for three years, Walt Bowden, really super nice guy, retired now. And uh, I harassed him for three years and he gave me a job with ISO. And when I got the job, I was very fortunate actually. They had just started a mentorship program. Where they would take new young consultants. I was twenty five years old at the time uh, when I got hired on PISO, and they would put them with a mentor and in, an industry expert. And that mentorship program lasted for five years. Wow! So it was yeah, it was intense. It was it was really great though? Um, actually, still friends with Bruce to this day. We still go to lunch when we can. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was just a really great experience. I learned a lot. I, I got to learn under Bruce, He was forty years in the field. And that really started my career. And that was probably that that was the thing that set me off on the on the path that I'm on now. Um, but, yeah, so it was just it was a great time. I, I did my five years and then I went and uh, consulted independently for seven years and uh, really enjoyed that. But I will say at that point, I kind of got I hate to say say burnt out, but. I did sort of get burnt out. Sure, it was kind of the same thing over. I was going to say same
1: thing over and over.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it was a lot of small and what we call mid market accounts, and that's just small, medium sized businesses. But these were a lot of mom and pops, and it was. Um, and don't don't get me wrong, some of it was great. Like if if you ever want to um, to get someone talking, sit down in their office, and say, "Hey, how'd you start this business?" But get prepared to be there for a little while. <laughs> and uh, but that was my favorite part of it is I would meet people and they would tell me their stories and they would they would always tell you two stories business owners they always want to reminisce about how they started their business and how they met their spouse those are the two <laughs> things they're always going to tell you and so i did love that part of it but back to the burnout part so but i would go and visit these accounts and i would always give them a laundry list of stuff they need to change and the response was always the same in a lot of cases. Well, John, I know how to build a widget, but I don't have any idea how to build a, uh, you know, uh, write a bloodborne pathogen program or how to set up a lockout tagout policy. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Can you help me? And the answer was always this, the same. No, that's not what the insurance carrier pays us to do. They pay to just give you recommendations, which gives you some guidance, and you just have to build the program yourself, which right. always felt kind of like a half-hearted answer to me. the The other thing that was frustrating was it felt like theory – Every time I would go and work with a company, a lot of times I didn't know how it turned out if the carrier didn't send me back. So did they implement the recommendations? Were they successful? Did it did it help them? And so I got an opportunity to go and work with some companies to implement risk control and safety programs, not just recommend them, but actually implement them. And I was pretty good at it. Um, so I just give you one example. One of the first companies I worked with, I saved them a quarter of a million dollars in their workers' comp insurance in about 15 months. Now, when I say that, that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot of money. But they were in really bad shape when I walked in. Like they had a lot of problems. So yeah. it was it was, I shouldn't say easy. Uh, But after 15 months of just continuous uh, implementation, we implemented the right programs. We put the policies and procedures that need to be in place. They reduced their number of claims and lo and behold, their insurance premiums went down. And so then I took that and went and worked with some other companies and helped them reduce their insurance as well. And so I guess maybe I could go off maybe on a tangent here and tell you what, what gave me the idea for the app. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so. So during this time, I'm, I'm kind of a uh, a computer junkie. And so I was building computers for friends and families. I've always been a tech junkie, always loved technology, always been obsessed with it. And, you know, I think it was when I was a kid, my mom gave me this book. Um, it was the life of Ben Franklin. And I was <laughs> always fascinated by this guy. Here's a guy who everything was an experiment and things that were inefficient. He wanted to figure out how do we make them more efficient? And um, then, you know, as a kid, I read books, you know, Tesla, Henry Ford, and I was just really fascinated by these these gentlemen who would see the world and say, hey, it can be different. It should be better. And, uh, you know, when when I was in risk control and I worked for ISO and then even independently, I was always working with companies and I was like. This is a really slow manual way to do it, and you know it's like 2009, right? And it's like, shouldn't we we shouldn't we be doing a little bit better than uh, you know word documents just floating <laughs> around the internet or whatever? So I was always obsessed with with making things uh, faster and more efficient. And I said, at even at the time, there's got to be a way to build an app to do this so that small business owners could do this themselves. You know, it could all be self directed. They could have the tools they need to reduce their risk and then net the savings. Right. Because they're the ones that can least afford the high insurance rates. Right. Right. That's probably a little bit longer. No, this this is all great
1: stuff. And it's so, so much of it is, is the typical stuff that drives an entrepreneur. Right. I mean, certainly you started in a career where you have to be self directed in sales. So I always think that, that that is one of the, a lot of people who, who do sales Are in somewhat preparing themselves because it's it's on you. You either do or you don't, right? There's no there's no excuse, and so that's a lot of way it is in business. But then, this this curiosity that you have, and as you put it, this desire to fix things that you observe are not working at optimal rate or that are broken. That's another characteristic I see in a lot of entrepreneurs that you had it just naturally in you, right. That, that drove you. That was that, that fuels you is to try to solve those problems. It sounds like.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of like when you see things from that perspective, you you look at everything and you get a little frustrated because it's like, why isn't this, you know, why doesn't this work better? Um, you know, I, I remember, and this is one thing that made me think about our industry. I was watching CNBC or one of those shows, and this was probably 2010, and they had someone on. And I can't remember who it was. It was an investor. And he said, look, he said, every company in the future is going to be a technology company. Mm. And he didn't say may or any. he was definite like this will they will be every company will be a technology company. I don't care what they are. And, you know, that was an interesting thought. And, you know, if you look at the world today over time, he was right. Like, Mm. for example, I I don't know. I'm a Hilton guy. So I used to travel a lot for work. And uh, I was always I would always stay at a Hilton property. Well, they have an app where you can book your stay. You can check in. You can turn your phone into a key. It's a digital key. They're a hotel Mm -hmm. company, right? Mm -hmm. It's a digital key. You walk up and you open your room. And then when it's time to leave, you click a button and you check out. It's the most amazing thing ever, but they're a hotel company, but not, not really. They're really, they're becoming a technology company. And there's a bunch of examples of this, uh, where the world is changing rapidly. Um, sometimes there's resistance to that change. Um, I think back when I was in maybe this was late '90s, early 2000s, when I don't know if you probably remember this. We're probably about the same age, but um, back in back in early 2000s, there were these high school and college kids that kept downloading music. Right. Do remember of that course. time? Of course, yeah. Well, and, and the industry just wouldn't change. It almost had to, no. it was forced upon them. Uh, but what was interesting, Steve Jobs was like, look, no, we need to be on the internet. This is a much better model and we'll sell it for a dollar a song, especially because at the time they were trying to get kids to stop downloading it for free, right? Right. So um, I think we're just, we're, we're fast, we're fast approaching the time when every company in their business plan out of the gate, they're going to have to think about, well, what technology am I going to employ to be able to compete right yeah what am i going to have to do like i'm i'm in an accelerator program and i was thinking about i was talking to a young lady there she has a yoga studio right well one of the things they really need is they need an app so that people can schedule their yoga sessions right she's running a yoga studio she's going to need technology and it's just the way the world is going and i i think honestly i think it's pretty exciting
1: yeah no i think it is too the challenge for us as business owners though of course is um you know, we, we we have to learn all of this. We have to figure out how to apply it. We can we have to be careful with how much we spend on these things and what makes yeah. best sense. But I think what you touched on is that also that lack of fear that you had of trial and error of trying things and figuring things out and seeing what worked and what doesn't work. Um yeah. so smarter risk technically I think was your first business, but really you were doing consulting. So you had been on your own before, right? That's um, correct. But Smarter Risk is kind of your first formal company, is that correct?
0: Well, no, not not in my. Now, I did for a short time have a a restaurant bar music venue. Oh, you did? Okay, I, <laughs> oh, I did. Yes, um, and that uh, that was a really good learning experience about how to learn through capital very quickly. Um, so I that was back in two thousand ten. So I was still consulting, but I was also operating. I, I'm a big music junkie too. So, awesome. um. So I wanted to do this and it was it was it was fun at first. And then it got really, really hard. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot about the execution. You know, at that point, I've been doing consulting and I've been in insurance or or risk management at that point for nine years. I want you to ask me, and I probably shouldn't say this because I'm like the plumber with the leaky faucet. (laughs) How many policies and procedures and documentation do you think I had in place as a restaurant owner?
1: Oh, don't tell me you didn't have any.
0: Didn't have anything. Did, I'm going to admit that on your show. I had nothing. Wow. And I'll tell you why. Not surprised I, I didn't have the ability to. It's not that. I didn't have the time. Interesting. That was part of the problem. I had the skill set to do it. So that also made me think, wow, if I had the skill set but not the time, how many other small business owners are dealing with this? Right. right. Where even if they had the skill set, they wouldn't have the time. And most don't have the skill set. Right. Let me ask so, you something. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Here? No, no,
1: go God. Uh, completely, un- well related but unrelated. You sound like similar to myself. One of the challenges that I have is what I call shiny object syndrome, where I've been opportunistic about my businesses, but sometimes that gets me in trouble because I go off on tangents or businesses that aren't related. How do you manage that for yourself? How do you, how do you decide? I'm not going to go chase that thing. I'm going to concentrate on this
0: thing. Uh years of of being beat up I and mean, that's the only way i can describe it um no I, I i suffer from the same thing been the same uh disorder i guess i don't know if you want to call that a disorder <laughs> but we can call it a disorder so no i suffer from that too and it, it i think some of its age and maturity as we get older we learn to focus our energies more and we also figure out what we're good at and so over the course of my career i've just figured out what i'm good at and what i'm not and I try to focus really on those things that I'm good at. And I also try to decide, okay, long-term, what is it that I want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And then what are the steps it's going to take me to get there? And then be as ruthless as I can about getting to that finish line. And then once I get there, then I can make an assessment and say, okay, what's the next step? What's the next big marker I want to get to? And that's just kind of how, it, I, you know, it, it it's kind of funny. This app, I actually tried to get it off the ground in 2012. I, I put see. together some I put together some uh, some developers and after about 6 months the whole project fell apart. I didn't really know how to build the app. I wasn't I didn't really know how to make it work. And fortunately, and this was uh, about 4 years ago or so, I met a gentleman who was a developer and I said, "Hey, I've got a project and I need a developer." And he said, "Well, I'm a developer and I need a project." So, <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. Good
1: perfect perfect connection. Yeah, it right. just
0: it is worked.
1: We can talk about this forever, but let's start diving into it. And and, uh, the question I think we both agree might be a place to start is by you explaining what what is risk control? What, What are we talking about there from a small business owner's perspective? What is it that we're talking about typically?
0: So, with risk control, and I give you, I would give you the textbook definition, but that's not going to help. Uh, but I, I will say for for those listening, risk control is often is, uh, is it's said in the same breath as safety, right? So a lot of times people think that it's synonymous, but it's not. Okay. Uh, safety is really a part of risk control. So what we're focused on is insurable risk. So let's say, for example, there is an employee of a risk getting, uh, a, 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 there's a risk of an employee getting hurt. That's mm-hmm. insurable under workers' comp. So that's where the safety comes in. But there are a lot of other things that uh, businesses are exposed to that are risk. Like, for example, your building could burn down, right? Well, what do you have for that? You have fire insurance. Or your employee could be in a company vehicle and get in a car accident. Well, that's fleet insurance, right? So when we look at risk control, we're looking at identifying what the hazards are and what are the controls in place for these various things that could affect your business. All the things that are what we refer to as insurable risk. So it's okay. much broader than just safety.
1: Yeah, yeah, great. And that, and as you were saying that, I always thought that, that that's one of our responsibilities as we where the CEO had in a business is to mitigate. Is the word I use to to be aware of, foresee what those risks might be, what those hazards might be, and how we can control them or mitigate them. That's um, right. That's our responsibility as business, and so one of our primary responsibility of business owners, isn't it?
0: That's yeah. That's right. And, you know, if you can't mitigate the risk, if you can't eliminate, get rid of it, how do you how do you effectively manage it? And that's the easiest example of that is PPE, personal protective equipment. When you wear a hard hat, that's because sometimes you can't mitigate all the risk of an object falling on your head if you're on a construction site. Right. Mm -hmm. So our last line of defense is PPE. So that's when we try to manage it.
1: Yeah. So, so based on your experience, and you, you've touched on some of, some of these areas, but what what are some of these common risk areas beyond the obvious that that we might overlook or that we might think, like you said, because I hear it a lot often. Well, we just always done it that way. Um, uh, wh- if I had a what are some for of this? Every time
0: someone said that to me, <laughs> I
1: can imagine. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, but to, but to answer your question, I think uh, just a few things pop in my head um, when dealing with uh, certificates of insurance. This is often overlooked, and this can hit you in a couple of different ways. Premium audit, which I'm not an expert premium audit, but it definitely hurt you on your premium audit. Uh, but it, when it comes to liability, you want to make sure that subcontractors are properly insured. And so mm-hmm. what you should do as a company is set a policy up that says, hey, here's our minimum standards. We require half a million, million, whatever it is, of insurance from a contractor. These are the coverages that are required. And also we want additional insured status. And so additional insured status is, is pretty interesting. Most people miss this. But let's say you have a roofer who's uh, doing a long-term, uh, it's a long-term contract. Say they're going to be on your roof for six weeks. You've got a big, big building. And uh, week two, their insurance is canceled. Well, if you're listed as an additional insured on that policy, you'll get a notification. Oh, no, yeah. You'll know now that they're an uninsured contractor. So uh, pretty important uh, that you do those kind of things. But that's something that people often miss. Uh, same, same way with like safety orientation. That's another big one. I think um, business owners, I'm always talking to them about is, hey, whenever you're trying to create a culture of safety, and this is always the big question, how do you create a culture? Start with orientation. If you wait six weeks, let's say you hired someone, you wait six weeks or two months and you're like, oh yeah, let's sit down and talk about safety and what the safety requirements are. How seriously do you think that employee is going to take you? Not right. very serious. Not, not at all. So I've always said that you want a very well-documented, regimented safety onboarding. You want to make sure this employee knows up front, these are the clear expectations, right? And that'll make the biggest impact on your safety culture. I think more than just about anything else.
1: Making it part of that onboarding program, not something that happens later or as an afterthought, but part of the onboarding that's uh, right, and as soon as possible. Yeah, and you're saying that. Uh, I mean, not only does that and documenting it, I've always understood is a big deal, so that I can show that I did provide this safety training to this employee. Not that they didn't know how to do something correctly or avoid a a, a hazardous situation, but uh, what you're saying is that it sets the right tone for that employee as to how important that is in this environment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, some, some small businesses struggle with putting together these safety training programs because they're expensive, right? Yeah. And I've often told them, Hey, do it, do a documented on the job safety training. So do a JSO. JSO is what we call a job safety observation, train someone on how to like, say, use a piece of equipment, then have them demonstrate they can use that piece of equipment safely, fill out the job safety observation and file it. There you go. Now you got a, a documented training program.
1: Didn't you use that with other employees, you mean?
0: Uh, yeah, you, that's you right. follow
1: now you follow that same process to demonstrate others for others to demonstrate that they know how to operate something correctly, let's say.
0: That's right. Yeah, and then you just keep it in their employee file.
1: To prove that they, they not only did I give them the training, but that they demonstrated knowledge of that safety process or procedure.
0: That's right. So if you ever have your insurance carrier asking about a claim or if you have OSHA coming, you can pull that out and show them that documentation. Hey, look, you know, that excavator is very dangerous. We know it's dangerous. We have someone train them on it. We do a job safety observation. They demonstrate they can operate that piece of equipment safely. And then we file that in their employee file. Now, that's not as good as having some really nice regimented um, safety training program. But if that's out of your budget, if you're a really small business and that's all you can do, do it.
1: Because if we if we follow that route, what, what an agency like OSHA or whoever else is investigating, what they're looking for is, did I have any kind of safety program in place? Did I provide this employee any type of training on how to be safe in the usage of this space or piece of equipment or whatever the case might be? That's partly what they're looking for, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, you want to demonstrate that you are a, a responsible employer, and that you took some steps to make sure that that employee was reasonably safe.
1: You said uh, in another interview that I listened to, or maybe it was on your website, that you know, quote, the easiest way to get better insurance rates, which is partly what we're talking about here, the easiest way to get better insurance rates is to not have claims. <laughs> that seems very obvious, but that's at, at the end of the day, that's what we're hoping to minimize so that our rates don't go up, not to mention keep them low, right?
0: That's right. You know, it's, it's funny. I can't remember where I, if I wrote that or that was some, some interview question sometime. but I actually had a business owner who I was talking to she laughed at that. And I said, no, I'm serious. Put the right programs in place. Don't have claims and your, your insurance rates will go down. This is just how it works. It's not rocket science.
1: Yeah, It's a matter it's of perspective, that. isn't it? Because we, 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 I don't know, maybe in the past we might've been able to look at insurance as, Oh, that happens file a claim. But but um, that that's certainly immediately how we're either not going to be insurable or how it's going to increase our cost is to not file a claim. I've I've come to look at most of these policies as what I call, maybe it's the wrong term, catastrophic coverage. In other words, I need it because I would be out of business if I had to cover a true loss. But the idea is to not file unless I really need to and to avoid having to file.
0: That's right. No. That's exactly right. You want to try to avoid claims at all costs uh, because you will keep your insurance costs down if you do that. I mean, it's. I really wish I could say that it's, it's harder than that. Now, it is harder to do the assessment, put together all the various policies you need, have the documentation in place. That is harder um, to do. But as far as just doing it. That that's you just want to watch. You just want to reduce your claims. I mean, that at the end of the day, that's why the insurance companies spend nine billion dollars a year on risk control. They do it because they know the probability is that the more risk control assessments they do, the more recommendations they give to to business owners, and the more of those recommendations that are implemented, the le- less likely claims are. And mm-hmm. so that that means more underwriting profit. They're in a business just like everyone listening to this show, right? And so do what the insurance companies do. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this
1: episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowabusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. So start to explain to me how the app helps me, this app that you have developed. Uh, Walk me through how it is that it helps me identify these opportunities.
0: So the the app is developed, it's really in in two parts. Let's walk through the first part. We built what we call a self-assessment tool. So we wanted to build an application where a business owner could go in and very quickly assess their own risk. And so that's what it does. The the first part of it is an assessment, a risk assessment. You go in, it asks you questions. Depending on how you answer those questions, it'll ask you additional questions or it'll skip questions. It's pretty smart. Um, And then at the end of that, it'll give you a roadmap for improvement. These are a list of recommendations. It'll also give you a score. um, So you have some guidance on what you need to do to improve your risk.
1: And how does it account for different industries or different types of environments? How how does it account for that, John?
0: Well, so it's, it's going to ask questions and then you're going to tell it whether that exposure exists. For example, Mm -hmm. uh, it'll ask you, do you perform welding, right? And if you perform welding, then it's going to ask you a bunch of additional questions. Hey, do you have hot works permit program? Do you have designated welding areas? Are you providing PPE? Are you enforcing the use of the PPE? So it's going to ask you all those kinds of things. And if you say no, it's going to skip all those additional questions and take you to the next question. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did beta testing, a typical risk assessment start to finish to visit with an insured a business to write up the report and to create all the recommendations would take anywhere on a small account, three to five hours. The beta testers I had, and I'll give you three examples. One was an accountant at a machine shop. Another was a lady here in town who owned a chain of restaurants. Another was a gentleman who had a microbrewery. It took all of them. Now, none of them have any experience in risk management, safety, or insurance. Maybe the accountant might, you know, she she does, uh, she reviews the insurance once a year, but that was about the extent of it, right? Took them 15 minutes to do the assessment. Takes 15 minutes.
1: And so I answer the questions and then what happens? What does the app tell me?
0: So it generates what we call a roadmap for improvement. These are Road a list map. of recommendations. Yeah, this is a list of recommendations that will tell you, hey, if you don't have this policy in place, this is the policy that you need to have in place. And these are the requirements for that policy. All right. So that's the that's the first part of the app. And it by, re, also...
1: by requirements, you mean like the the key components perhaps that have to be in that policy?
0: That's right. Exactly right. It'll tell you the key components you need to build that policy. Mm-hmm. Now, and you know, I don't know if we want to get the pricing model now or not, but that's yeah, let's free. Talk about actually. Yeah. So there all are... of that
1: is free. And so how so what is the paid part? Why, why would I pay for the follow-on part of it?
0: So, so you've got two options. So let's say you just want to go on the site, assess your risk, get a score and get your recommendations, so you know what you need to improve, right? Mm-hmm. Do that for free. But let's say you want the ability to update your recommendations, which is basically you it's a little thumbs up. You click on it right, and you. it says, hey, we've implemented this policy that has that right there will improve your score. But also the report is dynamic. So the report itself, you can also generate a report. It'll change the report. So the report updates as you update your recommendations. We'll charge you a $10 one-time fee for that. And with that report, once you get your score where you want it, you've implemented all the recommendations, you're seen as a good, solid risk, you can generate a risk report, which is going to outline all the proactive measures you're taking to control the risk, very similar to risk reports that I gave insurance companies for nice. years. You would generate that, and then you can share that with your agent. And then have your agent, what I would do is have them put it together with an RFP and send it out to three carriers and get... And get Quotes. And instead of your agent going to the insurance company and saying, you know, Bob's a really nice guy. You guys should give him the best rate, <laughs> you know, that, which, which is funny because a lot I, I hear not a lot, but I hear some agents are like, oh, let me just quote it. Let me, but why? Why would an insurance carrier give you a better rate? Well, what's the what's the rationale? Well, there isn't much no. um, most of the time how these rates are how they come up with rates is they'll take what they call um, loss ratios. They'll look at their loss ratios as an insurance company and then industry-wide losses. And that's how they come up with a pricing. Sure. And that's why some of the pricing is a little bit different from one carrier to another. But what I'm suggesting is that you implement all these proactive measures, and I've done this in the real world and it works. You make sure that your insurance carrier knows about all these proactive measures. Then you have them give you a quote, have them give you the most competitive quote they can. And that's how this-
1: yeah, and of course, there's no guarantees here, but based on your experience, and you've been doing this now long enough, the way that uh, you've, you know, the, the 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 comprehensiveness of this risk report, the way that it's formatted, it will be considered or should be considered by an insurance company as they're looking at how to evaluate me individually and in my business when I share with them this risk report.
0: That's That's right. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, just to, I won't name the company, but it was one company I worked part I was part of a team and we did the very same thing I'm suggesting. We wasn't automated. We didn't have an app to do it. We did it ourselves. And the savings was two point one million dollars.
1: Huge. So related to that, is there is but there
0: spending a lot too? So a just... lot, yeah,
1: exactly. That's why it leads me to this question of where's <laughs> the sweet spot. Yeah. So most of us listening here are, are micro business owners. It, what, what, do you kind of have a general range at what point this makes sense or not? Uh, Size wise, is it number of employees? What is the factor that I should consider to to, yeah. to think this might make sense for me?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that question. Then I'll go back because there's one other thing that we've got. We've got a subscription product too, but I'll explain that in just a minute. Sure. So our, kind of the sweet spot is anywhere from five to about a thousand employees. Now, our software could be used for up to maybe 2,000, but our soft like say for, let me give you an example, say a, a 5,000 employee chemical plant they can't use our software. It's not, it's not designed for them. They mm-hmm. need something super complicated. Right. And they've got stuff out there. They use like these really high end SMSs, which are safety management systems. They've got an entire staff. That right. They've that got stuff. people
1: on staff doing this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. We're, we're focused on really small businesses that either can't afford a safety or risk management guy. Right. Uh, but they also can't afford to pay the insurance rates they're paying. So we're looking, we're really looking for those kind of businesses that will access the app because this is like very similar to having a safety or risk management person on staff. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good in between before you get to that level where you're like, okay, it's time we've gotten eight, 1,800 or 2,200 employees or we've gotten a 500, whatever the number is. And that's going to change too depending on what what kind of risk you're involved in, right? You know, if you're running a machine shop versus, you know, a restaurant, you know, so that's yeah. all going to vary. Restaurants don't ever have safety people on staff. No. Um, but but the app really is designed for small businesses that make things, move things, and sell things. So these are warehouses, machine shops, repair shops, woodworkers, cabinet shops, uh, restaurants, hotels. Yeah, home service street.
1: businesses. Home, sir,
0: contractors. contractors yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Any contractor that's got a physical office location. Now, we do have an upgrade. I say an upgrade. An, uh, a different version of the app coming out uh, probably in the next quarter. And that will be for super micro businesses. So th- think about your um, your landscaper that's got three employees and, okay. and they, but they don't have a physical commercial location. So we'll have something for them too soon enough. But the uh, the assessment covers property liability, uh, small fleet if you have one. If not, you can you can obviously tell you don't have a small fleet and you'll skip those questions uh, and workers comp. So those are the things that it focuses on. Got it.
1: And then you were going to explain the subscription model.
0: Oh yeah, so, so the subscription model. So we had talked about for ten dollars, you can update your recommendations and that'll update your score and that also update your report because it dynamically generates. But let's say you look at some of these policy recommendations like bloodborne patching or lock tagout, or trenching mm-hmm. and excavation or any of these other policies that typically take a while to develop. I mean, a lot of companies spend six months in endless meetings trying to develop these policies, you know, going on Google seems they can find a good template. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you don't want to go through that, we have a subscription product because we call it the risk manager, and it provides you a policy builder and a forms library. So now you have everything you need to implement the policies, implement those recommendations. So if you need audits or inspections, it's all in there. And if you need to build policies, it literally will take you. Anywhere from 30 seconds to about three minutes to build one of those policies with our policy builder. And we we charge $50 a month as a subscription uh, product, and it's a a 12-month commitment.
1: Yeah, I think that's the huge part because I see that's where people – I mean, it seems simple, but yet what I find with a lot of small business owners is – they just don't even know where to start with building policies or to the point you made is a great one where people start having to, well, should it be this? Should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? And nobody agrees. And then we get nothing done, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By using a, a template, a starting point, a tool that helps me develop it, um, it, it, it helps me jumpstart of nothing else to process to get something in writing, something in place.
0: Yeah, and these are really robust policies. We took a, a long time working on that part of the uh, of the uh, app. We wanted to make sure these were really, really nice policies. We didn't want some, you know, two page template that we would give people. Um, some of these are pretty robust. I mean, there I think there's a few of them that are sixty pages. So if you include the appendix, um, so they're pretty robust policies. We wanted to okay. make sure we tried to to cover everything we could. But you know, the other part that's really important is the assessment. Because a lot of times for small business owners, um, you can go on a safety site and say, well, "We got BBP training, we got MEWP training, we got all this, you know, acronyms," and they're like, "I don't even know what I need." Hmm. And so the beauty of the assessment is, what happens is the application as you answer these questions, it builds a risk profile. And based on that risk profile, that's where your recommendations come into play and say, hey, you're doing this, but you need to do this. That's how your report is generated. That's how we tell you which policies you should be uh, producing. So all that comes from that assessment. So the assessment is really, really the key. Okay.
1: And and uh, this, you're talking about the initial component of the app, the, uh, the assessment, the, the questions that I answer to walk through the app and answer the questions. Yeah. That's right. And that's the part that's free.
0: That's right. Yeah. And okay. and the beauty of that too, if if we can't help you, if you take the assessment, you've lost 15 minutes. Right. But right. I would I, I would bet anyone money that that if you're a small business, if you do that assessment, we're gonna find something you should improve. I've been doing do you, this a long time.
1: Oh, I'm I believe it. I, there's, there's no doubt about it. What one of the things I see always with these types of things, with developing policies and procedures, certainly as it relates to safety policies and procedures. And uh, we've all been in environments where we might have a fantastic policy, but it's gathering dust on the shelf. Nobody follows the checkout process, let's say, lockout checkout process. But it's there, it's documented. What have you seen as a a best practice to implement these policies once I've developed them and make sure that they're used consistently?
0: Uh, Typically, the first thing and the best thing is to make sure that people are trained on a regular basis so they know what the requirements are. Right, um, and that includes management because often, like you said, there it's been ten years since they've updated the policies, and that's one of the ways we ask the questions on policy: Do you have an up-to-date written policy uh, for X, Y, or Z, whatever the question is? Um, because we we find that a lot with small businesses if they have at some point hired somebody who's like, "Oh, I'm a great policy writer," and they write them a policy or at least find them a template that was ten years ago, you know, mm-hmm. so. But but training, training employees and training management on what the requirements are in that policy, because policy just says as a company, this is what we're going to do. Right? right. Then you've got procedures. This is how we're going to do it. And then you've got training to make sure that people understand what's required of them. And then you hold them accountable. And that's yeah. just as, that's th- those are pretty important parts. Um, <clears throat> and I think in just some of the organizations I've worked in, that was one of the things we had to get uh, really clear on. Is that when we put these policies in place, we were going to train people so that they knew what they were. And then we were going to hold them accountable for doing that. That's the key. And that's employees and that's also managers. Managers, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I remember we we, uh, rolled out an onboarding process um, for one of the companies I was working with. And it was a complete disaster. And I tried to tell them it was going to be a complete disaster because they forgot one thing. There was no accountability component. Mm -hmm. And guess what? A year and a half went by, no one was following me on the safety onboarding process because it was in a PDF document where they would print it, check it off, and then it would float around in inboxes to HR somewhere. And someone was supposed to pick that up and supposed to, to print that and supposed to put it, it never happened. Yeah. So a year and a half after this, I said, hey, why don't you just let me fix it for you? And I worked with a developer and we built a form that was part of an SMS at the time and the safety management system where it could be accessed anywhere, anytime the safety team and anyone in an upper management could see if each location was actually doing the onboarding, not guess what happened with onboarding. It started getting done. Everyone started doing it because there was an accountability component. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, that's, that's gotta be the key to it. And then, and then ideally it becomes part of your culture. It becomes part of just how you do things. And, and that's, uh, that's when you really have made it part of your, of your company.
0: Excellent. All right. Uh,
1: Anything else uh, that you wanted to share? I mean, you mentioned where where you're going as far as smarter risk for smaller companies and anything else we didn't talk about that you wanted to share about smarter risk.
0: Yeah, so we we do have a a couple of products coming up. Uh, We we will have a micro learning app. Um, I don't have a date for that yet. So I don't know if anyone's familiar with MicroLearn, but there's a great company out there called Seven Taps. Um, and they are just, it's just a fantastic little app. It's all mobile friendly. It's super fast. You can train employees on just about anything you can imagine. They even have a freemium version. Um, but we will have a, a MicroLearning application to help companies with that issue of, hey, now we have our policy. Now let's make sure that everyone is trained on it. So we do have that coming up. We're pretty excited about that product. Um, and, uh, and by yeah.
1: MicroLearning, you mean it, it's not it's not sit down an employee for 2 hours in front of a screen it's a quick video or a quick lesson and those okay. kind of more consumable uh while i'm working kind of things is that correct
0: yeah. So it's um it's almost like a mini slide presentation that uh-huh. appears on your phone. There's yeah. no login. You just yeah. click on it and you yeah. swipe through and it literally takes less than two minutes. I've less tried to minutes. get so many companies to get off of this compliance training where mm-hmm. we put we we cram people in a room yep. once a year for four hours, they leave and they don't remember anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or or people, I mean, <laughs> I've seen it people, you know, watch it, turn down the volume and and pretend like they're watching it, but they're not consuming any of it. None of it That's is right. processing. Yeah.
0: That's right. And it's a a place we think we can really help small business.
1: Uh, Where do we go online to learn more?
0: Smarterrisk.com. That's the site. You can access the application from there. We also have a blog. Um, It's kind of light right now. We're up to our third blog post. We're working on our fourth now. But the blog is really, I really wanted to build something that was short and sweet and to the point. So the blog articles are short and they're just helpful information for small business owners. Excellent.
1: All right. Always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a a book that could be on this subject or on whatever that uh, you would recommend?
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that really influenced me in my career, especially when I started working directly with organizations and implementing these programs, is change management principles. And one of the best books I've read is called ADKAR. It's A-D-K-A-R. And it's just a step-by-step process for change management within an organization. And, and you know, that's a, that's a big problem in safety, risk management, but in anything when when dealing with business, your organization gets to a certain point and you try to make changes and it's really difficult. And this book just walks you through some great steps to take your company from where you want it to be or from where it is to where you want it to be. A-D-K-A-R, ADCAR. That's right. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Have not heard of that book. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it on the show notes page at thehowwithbusiness.com. All right, let's wrap it up, John. What's, what's the one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we've had about risk management related to ideally in, uh, being able to manage and control our insurance costs from a small business owner perspective? What, what's one thing you want us to take away?
0: Well, you know, it's this idea that some of this is all just random events. You know, the insurance costs, um, you know, really like anything else can be managed. You just need the right tools and you need to put the right framework in place to do that. So um, if you, if you, if you put the effort in, you'll, you'll get to benefit.
1: It's also good business, right? I mean, the things that we're working on here and focusing on here are things that are great for the environment period, regardless of whether it does or doesn't save me money on insurance rates. Right.
0: I mean, we're talking about stuff
1: that keeps people from getting hurt on the job or customers getting hurt on my site. I mean, that's so that has all of those uh, obvious benefits as well.
0: Oh, that's right. And, you know, you got to go a little bit deeper. Uh, You know, you want to make sure that people do go home every day. That's right. It sounds cliche and and safety, but you do. And by doing this, you can make sure or you can at least say with a clear conscience, hey, I've taken every precaution we can to make sure that happened. And that's really important. And something else uh, I think business owners don't really think about is. Whenever you have a claim, there are a, a lot of times costs that just aren't covered by your insurance. You mm-hmm. know, Let's say you have uh, three people in a department that runs a machine. One person um, it has an amputation, and I've seen this, and it's bad uh, just from the psychological standpoint. Oh, I actually sure. knew an employee who had to go to counseling after they lost a finger. They had to go to counseling for about a year. It was very, very tough. Um, but, you know, a lot of times I think we don't think about these other costs. Like, for example, now I'm going to have to pay the two guys who run that machine overtime or I'm going to have to hire someone else. And there's all costs to that. So there's all these uninsured costs. And, and you know, the the estimates vary, but it's anywhere from businesses right now spend one to ten times as much on uninsured costs as they do insured costs. So, wow. wow. Yeah.
1: Yep. Sobering. All right. Tell us again uh, where to go online to learn more
0: smarterrisk.com.
1: Excellent. John, thanks for being with me today and sharing all of these insights and knowledge and uh, perspectives, especially on this area that I think because it's uh, it can be scary, we tend to maybe bury our heads sometimes as business owners and just hope it never happens to us. You know, I remember my very first business, I had a pizza delivery business and I always thought, boy, I hope nobody runs over anybody, right? And I say that only half jokingly, of course, it's a very serious thing. But, but uh, we have to, as business owners, be aware of what those exposures are and insurance reduction or not put in place the plans, the procedures, the safety programs to mitigate those things. Um, so right. thanks for being with me and sharing those thoughts and ideas. I appreciate it.
0: Henry, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it.
1: This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of The we Business. My guest today, again, was John Moreland. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can listen and subscribe to my show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.